That was terrific, y'all. Thank you so much. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Catalyst. My name is Jay Arm, the teaching pastor here. And um, Nathan, you grew up you grew up in church like I did, right? Uh, so I'm assuming you uh, you had a lot of options as far as spiritual practices, right? Like reading Bible, praying, that kind of stuff. Um, I, th- I I know this will shock all of you. Uh, deeply, but I was not uh, I was not a cool kid when I was growing up. I didn't fit in really anywhere. And of course, there were two major social spaces that I had. Um, one was my high school, and one was my youth group. And we went to a, a like a thousand person church, and so the youth group was like over a hundred kids. And um, again, I didn't really feel like I fit in there very well. But this one summer, uh, they divided us into teams, like our small group teams, and then there were different ways you could earn points. So there's going to be this all-summer competition, and the group that had the most points won something at the end. I don't even know what it was. Probably a pizza party or something, right? Um, and so one of, the, one of the ways you could earn points was by reading chapters of the Bible. You got 10 points per chapter, which delighted me because I'm a giant nerd, and I loved to read then. I love to read now, and I'm a pretty fast reader. And so I went home the, sun, uh, the Wednesday night that they announced this big competition, and I decided I was going to read a lot of the Bible that week. So I started, you started in, at the beginning, like you do, page one, Genesis. And that week I read all of Genesis, all of Exodus, and half of Leviticus. Leviticus, y'all, right? It ended up being like, like 105 or 107 chapters, okay? So I went back the next Wednesday night, and I, I reported to my group, and I went around, and you got points for like being there on Wednesday night. You got points for, I don't know, like probably doing a service project or something like that, and you got your points for reading. So when I announced I'd read, you know, 100-plus chapters, there's this sort of, like, audible gasp in the room, like, whoa. And uh, it actually caused a minor controversy. My small group leader reported it to my youth pastor. I think when they turned in the score sheet, my youth pastor actually, like, pulled me aside and was like, did you really read this many chapters? And was, like, quizzing me on what I read because he didn't believe I'd read so many chapters, and I I passed the quiz. Uh, And so... Uh, my team got over 100 points just from me that night, and for like a brief moment, I was cool. You know, like I was the hero, and I, I felt like I fit in. Uh, so that summer, I read a lot of the Bible, is the moral of that story. Uh, the other moral of that story is even though I read a lot of the Bible that summer, I did not retain much, uh, nor did it really, I would say, shape me in any meaningful way. Uh, because the way I was engaging in one of the, I think, practices that most churches around the world would agree is important, reading scripture, right, uh, was more about my own sense of security in my peer group than it was about any sort of meaningful connection to Jesus, right? And uh, I bring that story up because uh, in, the, in the text we're going to be looking at today, this is the problem for God's people. Uh, they're engaging in a different spiritual practice, fasting, but they're having the same problem. Uh, they are doing a lot of fasting, and God does not seem to be pleased with them. And when they complain about it, uh, God says to them, basically, like, you're doing this to make yourself feel better, not out of any sort of genuine desire to be formed as my people. And so uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to share my own experience with that today to share with you. You know, I've had a long history, a kind of a complicated relationship with spiritual practices throughout the years. And uh, so I hope that makes it okay for you to explore your own complicated history with that. And, and we're going to look today, uh, as we have been for the last couple of weeks, at the real purpose of spiritual practices and how really they're designed 
uh, by God to connect us more deeply with God and more deeply with one another and with the vulnerable in our world. Uh, they're not just designed to you know, make us feel better or make us feel like we're doing the right thing or something like that. And so uh, as we saw last week and the week before, uh, even though we're going to hear some difficult words from God, some challenging and hard words from God, uh, these are all grounded in God's deep love for us and God's deep desire that we be formed as God's people. So uh, I want to invite you to begin worshiping this morning with us in that sense, in the sense that uh, everything we're hearing is emerging out of the ground of God's love for us and ultimately God's desire that we would be fully who we were created to be, uh, not just with one another and with God, but with the, the whole world around us. So uh, if you're a guest with us, I just want to welcome you as we're getting ready this morning and, and encourage you and say we're just glad that you're here. And we're not going to ask anything of you today other than that you be open to what God might want to say to you, because we believe God gathered us here, and we believe that if we will be open to hear from God, God will speak to us. Uh, obviously, we're going to be receiving communion at the end of the gathering. I say obviously, maybe, maybe you didn't notice this here, right? We're going to be receiving communion at the end of the gathering. So if you're in the building with us, hopefully you grabbed one of the communion cups uh, by the door on the way in. You got one from Sarah. Uh, if you are virtual with us, please just grab some elements, some food, and some drink of some kind uh, so that you can share in that really important practice with us at the end of our gathering. But for now, I'm going to hand it back over to Nathan and Guhei and invite you all to stand with me as we begin worshiping together. We have rounded, uh, I was going to say rounded third base, I guess, in Epiphany. This is the beginning of the end of Epiphany, right? We have a couple weeks left after this, uh, which is the season in the church year where we ask who Jesus is. Uh, because, of course, at Christmas we celebrated that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So now we ask, well, who is this God who is with us? And what does it mean that Jesus came not only for a small select group of people, but really for the whole world? Uh, so this year our series has been called Spark, and we've been looking at how Jesus ignites the faith that we find in the, the text of the Scripture and how Jesus makes that alive in our own lives. So we've been looking maybe counterintuitively at some of the prophets of the Hebrew Bible and how they called their people to faithfulness in their time and how that is such a uh, call for us in our time and the way that Jesus reaffirms that. And so we began by looking at this figure in Isaiah who's known as the servant, who's this sort of idealized follower of God, who readily confesses their own vulnerability and their own inability, and yet insists on leaning on God's uh, covenants and God, God's promises. And of course, how that was echoed in the life of Jesus so fully, and then how we can be uh, you know, aspire to be that kind of servant today as we look at the world that God has called us to serve. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been investigating the tension that we often find between uh, religious practices, you know, like worshiping together on a Sunday, or, you know, the spiritual practices I was talking about earlier, like reading scripture or prayer or fasting or tithing, and then the, the sort of social gospel that we see the prophets call us to, where we're meant to be caring for the most vulnerable in our midst, and how often uh, Christians want to pit those against each other and argue about which one is more important. Uh, and what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is that you can't pull those two things apart. They're like, you know, two sides of the same coin. Uh, so, uh, you know, an example we used last week was, you know, it's like asking whether the head or the tails of the coin of the, the quarter is worth more money, right? The nonsensical question, in the same way that asking whether uh, personal righteousness or, or, or that kind of vertical religion or the social gospel, the horizontal religion, is more important or somehow more holy, right? That you can't separate them as Jesus made so clear when he was asked what the greatest commandment is. And he said it's, it, the single greatest commandment is to love God and to love people. 
And so this week, as we're sort of bringing this part of this series to the close, I want to circle back in on spiritual practices because uh, I think it's so easy for us to, when we get captivated by the, the, the social part of faith, to forget these spiritual practices. And yet we've seen time and time again throughout history that it's these sort of practices that ground us in faith that keep us deeply connected to God's Holy Spirit and empower us and enliven us for the difficult work of being God's people in the world. So uh, I want to turn with you today to Isaiah 58. So if you have a, a Bible, go ahead and turn with us there. Of course, you grabbed one of the Bibles out of the back. That's on page 439. Uh, and feel free to keep that Bible if, if you don't have a Bible. Uh, now, as you're turning or clicking over to Isaiah 58, this is again from, from what scholars call Second Isaiah, uh, and this is from after the exile. So uh, if you've been with us throughout the series, let me kind of review with our, our fun timeline up here, right? The, the original prophet Isaiah was writing during a time uh, where there were two kingdoms. Uh, God's people had had a civil war, and they divided into the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. And uh, this was a time uh, for Isaiah of great political turmoil. The, the empire of Assyria was looming large and, and causing all kinds of uh, local political stresses among the kingdoms of, uh, uh, of the Levant over there on the, that side of the Mediterranean. And we also talked about the prophet Micah. Well, Micah lived during a time after the kingdom of Assyria had conquered the kingdom of Israel and destroyed it, turned it into a, like a client state of the Assyrian Empire. And so Micah was living at a time where the people of God were basically now the people of Judah. This is who we looked at last week, right? Where they'd experienced this massive refugee flood from that season of conquest and all of that. Second Isaiah and the people that, that, that we call third Isaiah lived af, uh, even hundreds of years after that when the Assyrian Empire had been conquered by the Babylonian Empire. And then they had taken over the nation of Judah. They destroyed God's temple. They deported most of the cultural leaders in an event that uh, biblical scholars called the exile. Okay, uh, So the exile was uh, probably the most traumatic event in the history of God's people. Uh, it, is, it is really what sparked the collection of the various books of Scripture that had been sort of around into what we recognize as the Bible. Uh, and it was, it was just a massively, massively important event. And so Second Isaiah is working and prophesying in the school of Isaiah's prophecy after the exile. So uh, they're writing and talking to people who have been conquered, who have, feel like they have no hope, who feel like God has abandoned them, and who are trying to make meaning out of the rubble of that. Um, now, I share all of that because they're in a pretty different place from the people that we looked at last week, Micah's people. Right? Micah's people who, if you remember, when they were experiencing this flood of refugees and a sort of national crisis, they were all attending temple, right? Temple attendance was high. The temple tithe box was overflowing, right? It seemed like everything was good, and yet God was not happy with the people because they were uh, ignoring the vulnerable among them. We're going to see a very similar theme here in uh, Isaiah 58, and I just want to remind you that these two prophets were hundreds of years apart and in radically different social contexts, and yet they could be addressing the exact same group of people. Okay? And I share that because I, I think it's important for us to recognize that this particular struggle that we've been exploring for the last three weeks is, I think, one of the 
deepest uh, struggles in religion, right? What is that relationship between the vertical and the horizontal? How do we negotiate the tension that we experience between, you know, the personal righteousness or staying connected to God and then that's, that, that desire for justice that we see in, in our sort of horizontal reality? Um, and so as we read here, the spiritual practice that God is taking them to task for is, is fasting, um, which, which again is appropriate because we're coming up on Lent pretty soon and the fast is a big part of the Lenten practice. Uh, but I just want you to hear uh, God's condemnation of the people here at, at the beginning. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be exciting at first, right? It says, uh, shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud and don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. Uh, now, I want you to again notice what God is saying here, right? God is saying uh, they go to the temple every day. They're delighted to learn about me. Uh, they ask me to intercede for them. That's what we would call prayer, right? Um, they're doing all of the stuff. Like if, again, if you had a checkbox of religious behavior, going to the temple every day. Okay, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll allow it, right? Uh, like a, a, a deep desire to learn about God. We'd call that like studying scripture probably, right? Learning the They're all try, like trying to get like amateur masters in theology or something like that, right? Uh, they pray to me all the time. They're even fasting. They're doing all of these things that I think most of us, myself included, if we saw a whole group of people this dedicated to doing those things, we'd be like, some pretty religious folks, right? They seem to be really dedicated. They seem to be really committed to God. And yet God is thoroughly unimpressed. God is not pleased with them at all. And they are, I think, uh, understandably confused, right? So they go on. They ask that we fasted before you. Why aren't you more impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and, and, and you don't even notice it. Well, I will tell you why, God responds, right? It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. So what good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? I mean, this, is the kind, of fast, uh, this kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You, you humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, you know, bowing your head like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and you cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? I mean, do you really think that this will please the Lord? This should sound familiar to those of you who were with us last week, right? That, that God is saying, okay, so, so let, let me get this straight, folks. You're grumpy because you're doing all of this fasting and I'm not impressed with you. But let's look at, let's look at, let's look at the facts, right? While you are fasting you are continuing to oppress the people who work for you. Right? You are continuing to exploit the poor and the vulnerable. So am I supposed to be excited that you're putting on your burlap sacks and you're sitting in ashes and you're putting on this pious performance? Like, again, do you think that what I most want from you is a show? 
Do you think that what's most important to me is how you perform religious rituals? Do you think that the reason I created you was because I like puppet shows? And so what I really most want out of you is this sort of performance. And of course, the implied answer there is, of course not, right? That's not what God wants. God cares significantly less about the performance of religious rituals than God does the wholeness of the community. And when there are people in the midst of this worshiping community who are being oppressed and exploited by the very people who are performing these religious rituals, God says, yes, something is not connecting here, right? It's like it's like a it's almost like the IT thing, right? What's the first thing that you, when you call IT and they ask, you you say something's not working? They're like, it was it plugged in? And you know they have to ask that because sometimes that's the problem is they haven't connected it to the power source. And that's essentially what God is saying here, right? God's like you're 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 doing all this stuff, but it's not like clearly something is missing because you're not connected to the source of life. If you were, things would look so differently here. So you're going through, you're going through this, these rituals that are designed to keep you connected to me, and yet they're not connecting you to me. I think this is a, uh, it seems like such a simple concept, right? And yet I think it's a difficult one for us to grasp because we so thoroughly associate religion with that vertical relationship. We so thoroughly associate religion with how we perform the, the practices of religion, the rituals and the, you know, the disciplines and things like that. And yet, what God says to us is, if those are not shaping and transforming you, then they are functionally worthless. Okay? Now, I say that as qualified as I can, because we're going to circle back around here in a moment and talk about why God has us do them in the first place then, if God doesn't like it when we do them. Because uh, that's not what God is saying, right? Uh, but before we do that, I just want to pause and go back into worship because because this is a space where we struggle, I think, sometimes to integrate the horizontal, or sorry, the vertical and the horizontal. And so I want us to, to take some time to meditate on the songs that we're singing and the words that we're singing and what it means to sing these things in a way that invites us to be integrated so that we live out the words that we are singing to God so that the, the horizontal, I keep doing that backwards, right? The, the vertical and the horizontal are integrated. So I'm going to hand back over to Nathan and Guhe. I'm going to invite you all to stand with me as, as we worship together. I think what I love most about the Hebrew prophets is that they are never vague. Uh, I mean, again, I think just take what, take what Isaiah said in verses 3 and 4 again, when, when God is real explicit about uh, the kind of fasting that God wants. Here's, here's what God says. Um, this is the kind of fasting I want, right? Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Uh, these are very specific actions, right? Prison reform. Uh, working for more just working conditions. 
uh, feeding those who are hungry, working to house those who are unhoused. And, and again, all, all of these, we recognize all of these as social movements, right? Um, we can probably all think of organizations that are involved in these different things or different, uh, maybe people that we admire and follow who are involved in this sort of stuff. And I think it's important to note that throughout history, both in our own country and around the world, God's people have been at the forefront of these kinds of movements uh, all over the place. And that's because we see very clear calls like this. Uh, again, and again, we see this echoed in Jesus' own life and the, the scripture we've looked at before, where he announces his messianic ministry at his home in Nazareth. And he says, you know, the spirit of the Lord is, is upon me to announce good news to the poor, release to the captives, freedom for those in prison, sight to the blind. Again, all of these very clear uh, social conditions. And Jesus says, this is what it looks like when God's spirit is on God's messenger, right? You, you can tell, you can measure it by what you see happening around you. Uh, it's not just someone who is doing spiritual practices. Uh, so, so again, we have some very concrete, clear illustrations of what God expects God's people to be doing, what it looks like when God's people are following the way our Creator set out for us. Okay, Very clear, very tangible. The question that I have is, uh, what role do spiritual practices play in all of this? Because again, the people are fasting, and God says, that's not the kind of fasting I want. The kind of fasting I want is doing all of this social justice stuff, um, which is good, but that's not fasting, right? I mean, we, we understand that God is being hyperbolic here, right? Um, so uh, I think it's important for us to back up a little bit and talk about spiritual practices, uh, you know, here at Catalyst, we have we have five that we sort of mark out and celebrate, and they're not they're not mad, they're not like the best five necessarily. Actually, one of my favorite ones isn't even in there. Um, it's just five that we selected as a leadership team because we feel like they are five that help us really engage with who God is. Um, those are reading scripture, prayer, uh, giving, uh, uh, keeping Sabbath, and then fasting. Fasting is one of them. And so when we talk about spiritual practices, we talk about them as ways to create space in our life for the Holy Spirit to transform us, right? Um, they're not things that we do to earn God's love. They're not things that we do to make ourselves feel superior or secure in some way. They're, they're ways to carve out space in a chaotic and busy world for us to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and to be changed by God. So fasting in particular is a spiritual practice that has a long history in religious traditions. And the whole idea behind fasting is to reorder our desires, right? We recognize that a lot of times our desires are misformed, that, th that we want things that are not good for us. And fasting is a tool that God has given us to reorder those desires. So most commonly, you fast from food, right? Like that's kind of the thing when you think about fasting that you fast from. Uh, the whole idea behind that, uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite uh, spiritual directors is this guy named uh, Richard Foster. He has a, a classic book called Celebration of Discipline, which is a, a, was probably my introduction to spiritual practices. And he describes uh, it, how, you know, when you go without a meal and your, your tummy starts a grumbling like that, right? And you're embarrassed because people can hear it if you're me, at least. Um, and people are like, whoa there, maybe you get a Snickers bar. Uh, he says that when our stomachs do that, it's like a spoiled child throwing a tantrum. And I just love that imagery, right? Because 
none of us, none of us will uh, perish if we go without a single meal in this room, right? Uh, that's, that's not my reality, certainly. I don't know that I've ever been, I've never been in a place where I am on the verge of real starvation. My own protestations to the, uh, you know. And so Foster says, yeah, like basically because we live in a culture of excess where we always have food at our fingertips, we don't know what it's like to say no to that very basic uh, human desire to eat, right? It's, it's one of our most, most basic animal instincts is to feed ourselves, and so we live in a culture where anytime, anytime the thought even traipses across the back of our brain, we just like, you know, smash something into our mouth holes. And Foster says, yeah, so fasting is a way to control that, to say, you know what, my desire is not going to rule over me. I'm going to submit that desire to God, and I'm going to fast and go without. And when my body says, but I'm hungry, but I want, we say, Thank you for that information. You're not getting any food right now, right? And so, so then we learn through the spiritual discipline of fasting to say no to our desires when they are disordered, right? And that helps us as we look around at our world and maybe we want more income than we need, right? Or maybe we want more freedom than we need. Or maybe we want more uh, stuff than we need. And some of those other desires that can be more ethereal and more difficult to measure start to come into focus through the discipline of fasting. And that helps us turn into a justice kind of a people who is less concerned about me, 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 I want this, take that, and more about am I living in harmony with my neighbor? Right? And we learn to do that through fasting. Fasting is a discipline that is meant to shape us into God's people and orient us towards the world through a lens of justice. Uh, which is obviously not what the people were doing in Isaiah's time. Right? That's why God is so upset with them. That's why God is saying, I don't really care how many meals you skip. I am not in the business of handing out spiritual brownie points. Uh, if you're doing this to feel better about yourself, that's all of the rewards you're going to get. Because as you are doing this spiritual practice, you are oppressing people around you. And I'm just not interested in that. So, we're approaching the season of Lent. We have two more Sundays of Epiphany, and then, then we begin Lent. So Ash Wednesday and then the six Sundays of Lent. Uh, Lent, as you probably know, is a season, it's a little more, it's actually 46 days because you don't count Sundays in Lent. That's a whole other thing we'll talk about on Ash Wednesday, right? Basically, let's say it's a 40-day season of fasting. And there's all kinds of ways to fast. Uh, you know, some people do fast from food. They give up like a particular food, like you're not going to eat meat during Lent or, uh, you know, uh, something like that. Uh, some people choose to fast from something like social media or caffeine or, or you know, something like that. Here's the thing, uh, and I say this every year, but it, bear, it bears repeating. I hear people all the time that are like, I'm going to give up cussing for Lent. And I'm like, I mean, if you want to cuss less, great, do that. You know, that, that's, good, that's good. Good job. But don't like give up something that you already think you should quit as a fast, right? Because that's not what fasting is. That's what cultivating good habits is. You know, um, fasting is meant to be giving up something, uh, again, when fasting from food, something that's necessary, right? Something that is meant to be a source of joy and connecting us to our creator through the creation. That's what fasting is meant to be. So that you give it up, and part of the joy of a fast is the approaching feast, right? You fast so you can feast. We, we go without, and, we, and then we celebrate, and we indulge. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't want to be around the people that give up cussing for Lent on Easter, right? Um, 
which is weird. A weird way to celebrate Easter is what I'm saying, right? Um, so I want to invite you, and maybe some of you have already been thinking about this. You know, Lent's around the corner, and you've been thinking about what you might want to give up for Lent. I want to invite you to do that. But I want you to do that in, that in the spirit that we're talking about today, right? What is something that I can say no to in my own life, something that's a source of joy, something that, that does bring me life, but it's something that I can say no to for me for a time, 40 days, right, as a way to say yes to the world around me? What's something I can say no to in my own life that I can say? So maybe you, maybe you want to fast one day a week or something like that, right? Maybe you're going to say like, oh, you know what, so I'm going to get on Tuesdays, I'm going to fast during Lent. That's, that's great. That's a, that's a great Lenten practice. So then the question becomes, so on, on Tuesdays, during your meal times, is, is there something else you can be doing that's going to connect you to some other folks? Right? Is there a way you can serve some people around you with that extra time? Or is there a way you can spend that time in prayer that you wouldn't normally be praying for some people? Right? Or is there a way that, that your no also becomes a yes? Right? Um, and I know that's like a weird big question, which is why we're taking some lead time with it, right? We're talking about fasting today. You have a couple of weeks. This is something you can talk about in your household. This is something you, we can talk about at our small groups during this week, right? This is a conversation you can have um, so that you can be thinking about what the Spirit might be calling you to give up for Lent this year. Um, and again, it's an, uh, this is a spiritual practice. It's optional, right? As soon as we start making practices, obligations, that's where they get all disordered the way we saw in Isaiah's message. So if, if you're not feeling a call to, to do Lent, that's fine, right? We're not, we're not checking people at the door or something like that. Um, this is meant to be an invitation uh, to be formed in God's image. Because again, the whole purpose of spiritual practices is that they connect us to God and connect us more deeply to each other. And we saw today in Isaiah how that wasn't happening. How in fact the spiritual practices were in some way numbing the people of God to the cries of the oppressed around them. And God is baffled by this, right? How can you fast while you're continuing to oppress your workers? Right? That's not the kind of fasting I want. Uh, the kind of fasting I want is the fasting that orients us towards justice, that makes us care deeply about the vulnerable among us and how we might live in solidarity with them, because that's what God calls us to. So in that light, in that light of the, the spiritual practices that are saying yes to the world around us, I think it's appropriate for us to come to the communion table. Uh, because this, this is a table that embodies Jesus' own yes to the world, a no to himself, a willingness to pick up his own cross and, and then give himself for the good of all of us. And it's something that he invites us to share with him so that we, we too might be formed in that self-sacrificial kind of a way. And so before we receive communion together today, I want to lead us in a prayer of examine where we look at our own religious rituals, what those are, and, and that can include that, you know, just be showing up today, right? This is Sunday worship is a ritual that we do. Uh, and so uh, I, want, I want us to examine those and ask ourselves real honestly in, in uh, relation to God's spirit how we are being formed as a justice people or are we, are we using this time that we spend together and the things that we do throughout our week to numb us to the cries of the vulnerable around us. Uh, and then after we've done that prayer of examine, we're going to come to the, the communion table and receive this meal together. So here's the first question I want you to consider prayerfully. What are the religious, religious rituals I've engaged in in the last week.
Now, have I done them to earn God's approval or out of a desire to be present to God? Now, what has kept me from spiritual practices in the last week? Finally, how can I choose to be present to God in the week ahead? together. God, you have gathered us this morning so that we might again revisit this tension that seems like your people are always trapped in. This tension between loving you and serving you and loving the world around us and serving the world around us. You, you showed us this morning how often spiritual practices can end up becoming a numbing agent that make us feel as though we're serving you when we're actually ignoring the image of you in the world around us. And so we confess this morning that that has been true of us. And we ask that you would break that in us and that you would restore in us that tenderness that we, uh, that we see in your prophet when they consider the vulnerable people around them. As we approach your table this morning, we ask that when we receive these elements, that they would be a spiritual food for us, that we might uh, again receive the grace that we need to integrate the vertical and the horizontal, that we might see through your eyes how your image is in all people. We offer these prayers now when we approach your table this morning in the name of your son, Jesus. The night that Jesus was betrayed, this was the meal that he shared with his disciples. And it was at that meal that he took bread and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, broken for you, take it and eat it. When the meal was finished, he gave them this cup of wine, and he said, this is my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins, take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink, and as we do, we remember Jesus' death until he returns. Uh, friends, as you're going today, I want to thank all of you who are continuing to give here at Catalyst. Uh, also, uh, Tim has your giving statements for last year, so if you were a giver last year, you'll have those uh, virtual folks. You should be getting those in the mail soon. 
Uh, and again, I just want to say thank you. Uh, January's been a, a tough starting out month. We had started with five weeks in, in a month, which is always extra hard. So again, we're just really grateful for all of you who are continuing to be generous with your finances towards Catalyst. And um, uh, yeah, just thank you for that. Uh, thank you also to all of our volunteers. We are so thankful for the way you uh, continue to serve with us and help us create this space. Uh, as you're going, I wanted to remind you that we have these spiritual practice guides. Uh, they, they highlight the five spiritual practices I, m- I mentioned earlier, and we have one that's for kids too. Uh, so it's, it's a way for parents for you to do those with your kids and, and begin to teach them how to do these spiritual practices, even from a young age. Uh, folks in the building, these are on the wall that say Connect with Catalyst as you leave the, the sanctuary. Uh, online folks, there should be a link to these in the description to the video on YouTube. Uh, and again, we created these because we know a lot of times, may, maybe the only experience you have reading scripture is like me when I was in youth group, where you're just kind of reading it and trying to get through it. Uh, and, and it's never really occurred to you that you could read uh, for transformation, not just information. Uh, it's, a, it's a very different kind of a thing. And so if you've never done that before, we put in here kind of what that looks like in a quick start guide. Same thing for prayer and for giving and for keeping a Sabbath day and of course for fasting. And so I wanted to encourage you as we are coming up on the Lenten season to be prayerfully considering what God might be calling you to do during Lent, how God might be calling you to say no to something so that you can say yes to the world around you. Uh, because I, I'm excited about Lent this year. and I think it's going to be a really important time for our congregation. So in light of that, I'd like to invite you to stand with me uh, so that I can dismiss us with a blessing. Catalyst, as you go today, would you go knowing that uh, what God cares about is that we live an integrated faith, that we don't differentiate between righteousness and justice because we know they're the same thing, that loving God is loving our neighbor. And so it is a messy, complicated kind of a faith, but it's not one that we do alone. If we will be diligent to make space for the Holy Spirit in our lives, the Spirit will be faithful to continue to transform us and to conform us into the image of Jesus. So would you go in the grace and peace of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and we'll see you next week.